Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, and welcome to episode 20 of Hire the Smile. I'm Mike Pownell, and as always, I'm joined by my colleague, Katie. Hey, Katie, how are you? Great, Mike. Thanks so much. Just uh, hoping for some more spring in our lives. Today doesn't look as nice as yesterday was. Yeah, we've had a few amazing days in Canada of spring, uh, but today and tomorrow are looking like it's back to winter. Mm-hmm. C'est la vie. So we have a subject, and I was going through subjects that we have discussed, not discussed, and I thought for sure we had talked about this subject because it's such an important one. It's one we spend a lot of time when we're doing presentations on human resources. I know you're working with a vet practice now to um, do some staff training on the subject, and that is difficult conversations. Mm, Everybody's favorite. Everybody loves a difficult conversation. Some people call them crucial conversations. Uh, I think it's calling it a difficult conversation is sort of more to the point because they are difficult. Yeah. And we all have them. I mean, whether it's with people we work with, and I, th- I think the other aspect we want to talk about is not just people that we work with, but also we sometimes have to have difficult conversations with clients, whether it's mm. about a bill that they may not agree with the quality of care they might have received with their pet. I know with difficult conversations that once I started applying what I've learned about having conversations with people that I work with, the same principles apply with customers too. So I think it really does help. Mm -hmm. So Katie, I'm going to put you on the spot because you're you're prepping for this course that you're doing with this this big practice. Mm -hmm. When we're talking what a difficult or crucial conversation is, what are the hallmarks of this? How would you define a difficult conversation? Yeah, I think they're generally, it's about something important. Uh, Emotions may run high about the subject and stakes are high. Like it's something that's important. Right. That's where the crucialness comes into it. You know, it's something that that needs to be talked about. And I think too, uh, the ones that are most difficult, the ones we tend to put off are ones that might threaten our self-image as well, which I think is, is really interesting. You know, and last week we talked a bit about feedback and we talked about ego and how sometimes feedback can challenge our the view that we have about ourselves. And I think that difficult conversations have the potential to, you know, scratch that same worry that we have. Yeah. No, I think that's a great insight onto it too, is that so much of these difficult conversations is having that self-awareness and we'll get into some of those factors. And but I think so many of us don't want to go into these conversations because they think it's just going to blow over mm. or you know just the pain of doing it and it's just not worth it. Yeah. 
You know, I think another factor of a difficult conversation is these are often situations where if you don't address it, it is going to have some kind of wedge that will have some kind of impact on the business or the relationship that's long term if you don't address it. Definitely. I think of it as like a crack in a dam. Like it starts with one tiny little crack. And then if you don't do something about it, eventually the pressure keeps building and building until it bursts. And, you know, there's can be so much harder to unravel and to fix things once it's got to that point. Yeah, I think this is why I thought we did this earlier, just because it's so important for all the practices that we work with, uh, regardless of what we're doing with the practice, whether it's HR or just management or operations, we always find as there's this underlying tension, uh, whether it's between some of the bosses, the leaders, managers, and the employees, between employees. But you can tell that there's been a lot of unsaid Mm. stuff between people. And it's almost some places there's this palpable tension. Yeah. And you just wish if they had had a good conversation and just brought it out in the open, things would be a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. That's so true. And like I said earlier, sometimes by the time we get into it, this things have been going on for years and, you know, people are so entrenched in their viewpoint or, you know, how trying to have these conversations has, have gone in the past that it can be so difficult to, to unwrap everything. And, and it takes a long time to move past the things that have happened in the past. So yes, trying to deal with this right away is so crucial. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny that when you Google difficult conversations, how to have difficult conversations, there's not a lot of research on it. Mm, mm -hmm. But I did find one article from Harvard Business Review, trusty Harvard Business Review. Mm, And it's a conversation with uh, Douglas Stone and um, the other person is Elaine Herring, both from uh, Harvard Business School. But Douglas Stone, as I guess, is like the he's the, the guy. person he's written the book on difficult conversations, literally conversations. Yeah. Like, yeah. so he is the guy. It's a fascinating article. We'll have it in a link there. It's called "Mastering Difficult Conversations," and I think one of the things is what they talk about is three conversations. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk about that? I think that's an interesting concept. The conversation that sort of you, what your perception is of the situation. There's the the situation that as the other person sees it. And then there's sort of the third story that goes along with it, which is the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And trying to have a conversation from that place of the third story where it's neutral. It's like, okay, well, this is just facts. Like they're differing facts. And I hadn't necessarily thought of it that way. I always think of it as, you know, people need to say what their viewpoint is. But if you start as, okay, what's the difference here? And let's start from there. Then it's nobody's really entrenched in that yet. Yeah. It's like another person that's there almost. So I thought that was a really interesting way to think of it. Yeah. Because I think, you know, we're so invested in our perception of ourselves. Yeah. And I think this is why these crucial conversations, difficult conversations are so hard to start because you're just, you know, you have a sense of like, I'm a really fair and compassionate boss. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm such a hard worker. And this conversation may challenge that assumption about yourself. Definitely. Yeah. And in that thought, like you just said, well, I'm, I'm a really hard worker. And that might come across to the staff as you're really like curt with them and you just want things to get done right away. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're aggressive with them. You're like, well, no, I'm just a hard worker and I want everybody else to be too. It's like, well, that's your intent, but that's not the impact that you're having on people. Yeah. And I think that that lack of awareness of impact is like such a, you know, we see it time and time again. Huge. 
it can be really hard for people to kind of pull out the fact that, okay, well, there's this feedback that you're getting and this person isn't saying you're a bad person, but this is just how it's affecting them. Yeah. You might not be doing it on purpose, um, but that's where the self-awareness comes in and, and having sort of the emotional maturity to say, okay, I need to take a step back. I need to separate my ego from this and separate that perception that I have of myself and look at it from their perspective or look at it from that third perspective, that third conversation of, okay, well, actually, yeah, I could see how this could be construed that way. Yeah. I remember once um, in, a, in a course hearing this line, and it's always resonated with me. It's one of those phrases that I'll never forget because it sort of totally changed how I go into these conversations. And it was basically, is that what you think you know or is that what you know? Mm-hmm. And that really, to me, gets to the crux of everything because so often we go in these with assumptions mm-hmm. and we have an assumption about the other person. And of course, it's always the other person's fault. Yeah. Uh, we are absolutely perfect in our tone, our manner. We are just spot on and they just screwed up yeah. and didn't understand it. And we make all these stories about how they perceived us or their actions. And those assumptions, I think, they just kill any potential of having this back and forth, what do they call it, a learning conversation mm-hmm. where we've got to learn a bit about ourselves. They're going to learn about themselves till we get to this sort of common place. And once I stopped, and it's a conscious decision of not to assume mm. of the other person's intentions or not assuming that the impact that they wanted was in fact the impact they wanted. Once I started getting that mindset, sort of like going in there, open, open mind, yep. that altered everything. Definitely. Yeah. Once you kind of go in it as like a fact finding mission, you know, and yeah. there's an article, we're sort of mixing in together. So the article that yeah. I'm talking about here, just so we have it out, it's called A Psychologist's Secrets to Holding Tough Conversations. Kevin Cruz, who I think everybody probably knows the name of, he's a big big deal in the sort of leadership sphere. Uh, He interviewed a gentleman called Paul Marciano, who has a bit of a different perspective. I mean, you know, Douglas Stone, who you were talking about, is like the godfather, along with Sheila Heen of Difficult Conversations. But this guy's got another bit of a perspective. But anyway, all that to say that your perspective is a perspective, but it's not the perspective. Like your story is your story as you see it, but it's not the only perspective. And I think so often something that derails this, even when we, you know, set people up when they're sort of first learning how to have these difficult conversations, it's really hard to get people away from the idea that they have to win the conversation. So going in with their perspective and my perspective is the right one. That's just such a derailing thing. And, you know, you see it, I'm sure we can both think of people that we've worked with where part of the fun is the battle for them. And it's like, well, that's not mm. constructive. Yeah. We all like to win things, but that's not what this is about. And, you know, going in and just being curious, like you said, and saying, well, like, let's look at this as like a scientific expedition to like Antarctica. Like, what don't I know here and what can I mm. learn? And, uh, you know, having that, we've talked about the growth mindset before, but like, what can I learn from this? It's not very often that people just like really are out to get you and are bullying and harassing you, but they just have a different perspective and it's up to us to bridge that gap and learn what's going on. That brings up a really good point because sometimes we don't even need to have these conversations Mm. because if you're really attuned to yourself, Mm because sometimes something happens, you you get upset by something, the impact from the other person didn't come across as probably they intended. And then sometimes you just got to sit back and go like, why did I react like that? Yeah. 
And sometimes it's like, you know what? Yeah, I only had four hours sleep last night. I was on call. I was up all night or whatever is going on. COVID. I mean, life. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit on edge. And sometimes you're like, you know what? I kind of noticed with this person that Monday mornings, they come in, they're in a bit of a rush. And maybe it's not them, maybe it's me. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I think if we can have that sense and sit back there and go, you know, maybe there's just something that is just triggering me. And once I recognize that and I can adjust it, everything is actually fine. Mm-hmm. I'm just maybe reading into this far too often. And, and boy, I've seen that a lot. And when people do step back and they can sort of say, oh, yeah, maybe it wasn't as big a thing as I thought it was. Definitely. Yeah. And thinking about uh, and something that gets suggested here by Paul Marciano in the article that I'm talking about is like call a friend and run the situation by them. I mean, you've done this. We've done this with each other before. It's like, am I reading too much into this? Like, what do you think? Just to get a bit of perspective, because like one of the articles says, think about your background and your experiences and everything that's happened to you. You're a unique thumbprint of a personality. Mm -hmm. And somebody could say the same thing to two different people. It impacts them two totally different ways. You know, I have a friend who is going through sort of a deep dive into unpacking a lot of stuff that happened to her in her past. And the light bulbs are going on. It's like, oh, well, I react because of this. And I react like this because of that. And making those assumptions like, well, that person didn't talk to me. And that must mean they're mad at me. And it's like, well, maybe they just didn't see you that day. Yep. And it's just so interesting how our perceptions can be influenced so much by what's happened to us in our past. Absolutely. So I think really one of the great things that to make a successful, crucial conversation is going in there and with the mindset of, This came up, and when you're talking to the other person, this is how I perceived it. I have a feeling that's not how you intended, Mm -hmm. and then just shut up and listen. Yes. And and not trying to force your point, but to actually listen to the other person and explain where they were coming from. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. The listening part is so important, and I think that can even be harder than doing the talking of the difficult conversation is, you know, really sitting on your hands, your vocal hands, so to speak, and being like, okay, I'm actually going to listen to what they're saying. And I'm not going to be formulating my rejoinder that I'm going to say next, I'm actually going to listen, I'm actually going to understand. And one thing that they suggest, and, you know, a hallmark of uh, these types of conversations and effective communication and listening is, stating back to them what they're saying. So what I'm hearing is, do I have this right? It sounds like this. It sounds like that. Just to make sure that uh, you're on the same page, because they might say something and we still we're still not picking up what they're laying down, so to speak. Mm -hmm. We're not really getting the kernel of what they're saying. And it's up to us to understand because otherwise, you're just gonna make another assumption based off that. I mean, it's just not, it's not an effective way to have the conversation. So yeah, yeah, the listening is so important. It's funny, I, just, I had one of these crucial conversations several months ago with uh, someone I work with and, you know, we were having a discussion and something came up and I sort of thought about it and I just I did the, the steps of reviewing, is it just me or, and, and then I just said, you know, I, no, I just, there's, there's something that I just don't understand. And, and when I went to this person and I broached it to say, you know, you brought this up, this is how I heard it. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're intending? Can you just sort of maybe explain it a bit more where this was coming from, from your perspective? And it was funny because as they started speaking about halfway through, they were like, oh, 
Yeah. I could totally see why you got this message from me and oh my bad. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things that it, it was wonderful because it was a very passive, very calm discussion. I sort of stated how I felt, left it open for them to say, you know, explain what you intended. Mm-hmm. And in their conversation, they realized that yeah, there was there was probably something they could have done better. It has strengthened our relationship because it it really has shown trust. Yes. You know, ten years ago, Mike, I would have gone in there and I would have like <laughs> run out of blah, blah 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 blah, and I would have ranted and raved <laughs> yeah. and just said, "You're wrong, you're wrong," and they would have been not liking me anymore. Yeah. This way, they were allowed to save face, mm-hmm. and it was a non-judgy kind of situation. And yeah, it was out of that. It was like, hey, I've worked with this person for a long time, but I'm actually even more comfortable working with them now. Definitely. I love that you said that and that, that trust is so important. And we talk to a lot of leaders who have eroded trust with their staff over time. Yeah. They're like, well, I don't know how to get this back. And what you did, that was showing vulnerability. You're like, hey, I'm not sure that I understood this properly. You know, you're going in there curious and saying, I have something to learn here. Let's talk about it. That is such a cornerstone of, of trust and, and not thinking like, oh, well, I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to give you the cold shoulder for three years because of this thing that I think you said. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, no, let's just be a grown up and go in and talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and that person will probably be more apt to, to have that kind of conversation with you if they need to as well, or they can express to others that it's safe to have those types of conversations with you too. So I think that's great. And it doesn't mean you're going in there suppressing or denying that yeah. you have emotions, but you can put the emotions on the table and say, yep. hey, when I heard this or when you did this, this is what I felt at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, but I think the key thing always is I can't imagine that what is your intent. Mm-hmm. Then shut up. Yeah. I think having that benefit of the doubt, like it's so, it sounds so hackney and so cheesy, but giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, I mean, that's what. You, if you wanted to sum up a difficult conversation in like, you know, five words, the benefit of the doubt would be a really good one because it's like, it's coming away from having that assumption and coming away from thinking you're right and that you know the answer and just mm-hmm. coming in with like a blank slate and saying, let's see how we can inform each other and, and figure something out here. Yeah. And I think it's one thing, and I don't want people to come across and think that, oh, this is easy and, you know. Like and Katie got it all figured out. This is an (laughs) ongoing struggle. Let's be honest. And totally trying to have that self-awareness. I'd love to say I'm like the Dalai Lama and I'm totally like on with myself. No. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're constantly learning about yourself. It's just being open to learning about yourself. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging. And I think Douglas Stone said this in the article that you were talking about, and we talked about it a bit last week, is acknowledging that you have blind spots in your personality or in how you conduct yourself. That those times when you're like, I always think this is how I come across in this situation, but everybody's like, "Uh, no, Mm -hmm. you actually don't. But acknowledging that, okay, I don't know everything about myself. And this is a continuous learning process. And that's that self-awareness and holding yourself to a bit of a higher standard. Yeah, there's a situation within my own practice about, oh, I'm going to say, it was probably last summer, I had a COVID, and we were having a meeting about something. And, you know, we were in the meeting, and I said something, and it was one of those things where after the meeting was over, I went, that didn't go over well. And I can see mm-hmm. they were confused. I know they don't want to call me on it, and yeah. that's fair. And so we, I actually called another meeting and just said, 
you know, I'm going to have this difficult conversation because I think I confused you. Mm -hmm. And I actually shared, this is what was going on in my mind and a personal thing that I'm not going to get into. And when I explored it with them, they were like, ah, that makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. And so that was an example of me recognizing a blind spot. And it was one of those things as I was speaking, I'm like, this is not going well. I think this is, I'm screwing (laughs) this up. And then Reel it in. And after it was over, I was like, I totally blew that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little tick that erodes trust is when you have those slip ups. And I mean, you can go back and you can say, hey, this is what I meant, but you still have work to do. I mean, you had work to do to build that trust from that little slip, right? Absolutely. We have to be careful all the time. I think the challenge in a veterinary practice is you have the veterinary leaders, you have the veterinarians, depending on how stratified some practices are very hierarchical, some mm. of them are pretty flat hierarchy, but you know, by just by position. So there are the managers. And, and I think when we do our employee engagement surveys with practices, you know, communication comes up as probably the most common yeah. struggle. I'm not going to call it yes. anything else. It's, it's a struggle and it's a lifelong struggle. Mm-hmm in our own relationships with our spouses, children's, parents, you know, conversation and communication is, is something that we always try to be better at. So why would it be different at work? I think as, as managers and leaders, we have to be even hyper aware of this and just to set the example, mm-hmm. because ultimately you want to practice where everybody can have these difficult conversations. You don't want people stewing yep. and, you know, or venting. And we used to think that, hey, venting is fine, but, you know, venting is sort of self-perpetuating. And actually they've done recent research that the more you vent, the more you have negative feelings about the situation or the person. You don't release it and everything is good. It's still there. Yeah. It's entrenched. Venting actually makes it worse. And so, you know, what we're ultimately trying to do in any, any business, any situation is have that kind of culture where you can have these, you know, not, let's not even call them difficult conversations, but they're crucial. Mm-hmm. They're just clearing the air conversations. And it's hard. Yeah. I, and, and clarifying facts. And I mean, it goes right back to how you communicate with your staff about, you know, things that are a little bit more mundane. Are you a dictator where you're like, this is how it is? Or do you solicit feedback from staff on, on things? Or like you sort of were saying in your example from last summer, did you give them all the facts that they need to really understand where you're coming from when you first said something? Just think about it from their perspective of how, how might they take this and what do they need to know? And I think kind of goes with the territory that you have to be on your best behavior all mm-hmm. the time. And if you're not, if you slip, you have to have that self-awareness be and um, c- courage to go to them and say, hey, I screwed up and I c- I'm not going to try and dig myself out of this hole or justify, but I screwed up and I, you know, let's talk about it. And uh, it can be so hard particularly if if they haven't been called on the behavior before in the past or people have tried and it's been justified or brushed aside. So it's it's hard. Mm. I know you've probably had more experience with it than I do just because of the, where you work at with practices, with having you know these difficult conversations when we've done employee engagement surveys and there's feedback about certain people and then often you're then in the position then to broach this, this mm-hmm. subject. And often, you know, the first reaction is is recoil and yeah. uh, resist but i what i find amazing is usually within a couple of weeks they sort of have come around and it's like this is probably one of the best gifts i've ever received because mm-hmm. i think 
again, going back to intention and impact, I don't think anybody goes into managing, running, being part of a vet practice to be an absolute a-hole and to piss everybody off. No. I don't think many of us in vet school are trained how to interact with each other really well. We're very, it's a very independent pursuit. Mm-hmm. Not many of us, because we don't have time for team sports and what have you when we're in school. So we don't necessarily often learn these skills. And then we don't learn management or people skills. Uh, and so we sort of go and treat people totally inadvertently like a tough case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do. Like, I need to get to the answer because I got this animal in front of me and everything falls by the wayside. And I think when we you know, shine the light on how some people perceive this, you can see some owners or managers and even other vets and support staff are just like, I had no idea. I am such a schmuck. And no, they're not a schmuck. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good it's a good light to shine on people and ourselves. So coming back to it's always ourselves and our self-awareness of how we're coming across mm-hmm. and how we're reading the moment. Definitely. Yeah. And I think acknowledging your emotions and the other person's emotions, you know, like thinking about one thing that people are generally apprehensive about when they're doing a difficult conversation or trying to gear up for one is what if the other person starts ranting and raving and gets angry, you know, like, what do I do if they're aggressive? And we have to have that awareness to just breathe it out and say, I can choose whether to engage at this level or not. And you can say to them, this obviously is something that you're very passionate about, but you don't have to rise to their level. Yeah, You don't have to get um, heated you just have to sit. And I think another thing too, and something that I explore a lot when I deliver employee engagement survey results is you have to be okay with silence sometimes too. You don't have to fill every moment of every conversation with talking. In the the article that I'm referring to, he talks about the WAIT acronym. So why am I talking? What am I adding to the conversation? Am I being efficient in what I'm trying to say? Because often when we're uncomfortable, and there's a silence, and we know the other person's upset, we tend to ramble. And, you know, you're like, well, if I talk more, then maybe I'll steamroll over them, and I'm the one that's right. But you have to be okay with the silence. Because sometimes people are processing, and they're listening, and you just have to let it sit, check in with them, but you don't have to fill every single second with talking. So you brought up, what if you're having a conversation with somebody, and and they they get really upset, and they're the ones that start rambling, or they raise their voice? How would you respond to that? I think I would say, think about what my target was for that conversation. Like what was the outcome that I was hoping for? And then try and get things back on the rails and get things back towards that outcome. And really just ask questions. This is asking them, it seems like this is still making you quite heated. Can we unpack why you're acting the way you are. And I mean, if they're screaming at you and it's becoming very aggressive, I mean, you're not going to win them all. And I don't mean that in a winning the conversation way, but maybe this is not the day to have this conversation, but saying, okay, well, you know, we've talked about this as much as we can. Let's go separate and we'll come back together. We'll talk about it another time. I mean, you don't want to be in a situation where you're in danger or anything like that. But it can be difficult and it can be difficult, you know, when the other person feels like they're being attacked and their ego is being or their self uh, image is being questioned. It's really hard thing, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if it's self-awareness and emotional intelligence is something that they've never really come across. 
it can be very hard. So I think, you know, just being calm and asking questions and trying to guide things back to what your ultimate end goal is, which is understanding really in any conversation, understanding this should be what the goal is. And I think the other situation I, I think we should just discuss briefly is I'm putting myself in the, in, you know, uh, late fifties male having a conversation and odds are the, whether it's a vet or a support staff, it's going to be female and much younger. And mm-hmm. I know I've had people, colleagues come to me and just say, I, I don't, yeah, I need to have a conversation, but what if they accuse me of harassment or something really nefarious? And, and I can understand why people are worried about it. I think sometimes it's very overblown, but it's real. And sometimes mm-hmm. if you're dealing with somebody that is, our situation is not emotionally intelligent and then lashes out, you don't want it to be a he said, she said, if it comes to uh, no something legal or, or what have you. And I'm just thinking of a worst case scenario. Would you mm-hmm. recommend, I do, I don't know what you th- your thoughts on it. We haven't talked about this for a while in terms of having a, a third person in the rooms with um, mm. any of these kind of conversations. Definitely. Absolutely. Having Switzerland there who's neutral and can help is outside of the situation and can bring things back. Despite our best efforts, sometimes we're going to get heated yeah. too. Self-regulation is very, very hard. So having somebody who can look at it from the outside perspective and say, you know, it sounds like Jim is saying this and it sounds like Sarah is saying that and then trying to, to funnel the conversation back. Uh, into and just a, I want to clarify, in the middle of the at ground my place. practice, we have a Jim and a Sarah and these are pseudonyms. <laughs> that's true but yes so having definitely having that third person there and you know i've i've definitely been that third party and just being able to see things from that outside perspective is helpful and it doesn't have to be somebody who's particularly skilled in difficult conversations but somebody who knows that their role is to just help facilitate Mm -hmm. that can really be helpful yeah neutral yeah and i think Mm-hmm. Is selecting that right person too, in terms of you know that there is a high degree of trust with the other person, and and so it's, you don't want to feel like you're ganging up on them. No, definitely not. No. Well, I mean, we could probably talk for five hours about crucial conversations because totally. this is such an important part of communication in an office and work environment with clients, as I said. So yeah, we'll put the link for these two articles. Unfortunately, the Harvard Business Review one is you've got to pay for it, but you may just want to buy that book, Crucial Conversations. It's probably only a little bit more than what the article costs. Mm -hmm. It's a great book. Yeah. Once we, I've gotten to a mindset and for our own practice that difficult conversations, crucial conversations are, are actually learning ones and there's no judgment and we Mm -hmm. all get better out of it. Uh, I think there's been higher acceptance with everybody within the organization that, yeah, we're just going to have this conversation. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's get to one of our favorite parts, our win and fails. Mm. You got one that you're, you're frothing at the mouth for or? Uh, kind of. So fails wise in the theme of Canadian institutions that do very badly. So we've talked about the RCMP before the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So this week, this was actually just posted today. Federal court approves class action lawsuit claiming RCMP doctors sexually assaulted recruits. And this is revolting, uh, reading some of the details, like having both male and female potential RCMP officers going in for their sort of routine physicals and being 
I'll, we'll link to the article so you can read the terrible details, but just being degraded and, and being subject to testing, quote unquote, that was totally inappropriate and unnecessary. Uh, so having, you know, some people didn't go into the RCMP because they were so traumatized by the experience and just the, at the time when concerns were brought up, they were brushed aside, you know, like one of the, one of the doctors was known throughout the organization sort of as Dr. Tweakers mm. and Dr. Fingers. Mm. Uh, so that gives you an idea of sort of the type of uh, ex- quote unquote examination uh, that the people were being subject to. So a class action lawsuit, there's going to be a lot of people and it's just very sad. Well, that's the first I've heard of this. This is horrible. Yeah, it's revolting. So that is my fail. Mine is less revolting, but still pretty bad. It really lately, Amazon has been in the news for some of its employee practices. And, you know, they always say, mm-hmm. hey, we pay $15, which is, you know, higher than the minimum wage in the United States. We pay top line salaries and it's a great career. And yes, they do pay more. But kind of monitoring and the expectations that they have for their workers, it's almost like this line, like, if we had a robot, they could do this, but we don't have robots yet. So you're going to have to do this, but all right, we'll tolerate a break here or there. And so apparently what goes on is that they have biometrics, even in their delivery trucks now to, you know, that measures when you blink, when you yawn, uh, how often you're following the route, but in the warehouses and just how many items you're supposed to pick in a certain time frame. And so basically, Mm. What has happened is that people have been complaining is that they have so little time for personal breaks that they're actually using bottles to urinate and taking a pee oh, break. Oh, no. And Amazon has vehemently been denying this. But so a couple of weeks ago, they tweeted back that you really don't believe this is Amazon coming from. Uh, you don't really believe that peeing in the bottles things, do you? If that were true, nobody would work for us. The truth is that we have over a million <laughs> incredible employees around the world who are proud of what they do and have great wages and health care from day one. And they were bombarded with evidence. Uh, and one Ew. person basically said, this tweet has absolutely convinced me that the peeing in the bottle sink actually happened and probably worse. And somebody wrote a novel on what goes on behind in Amazon. And he's like, I actually, I'm the one that found the pee in the bottle. And basically the Twitter account for Amazon was inundated and, in, you know, of people showing here's pee bottles at the Amazon warehouse. Uh, so not good. Just, yeah. Yeah. Love the wages, love the health care. You gotta let people go to the bathroom. Just, just saying. That's one thing robots don't have to do. But until you have them, pee breaks are really seriously. Good. Yeah, it's interesting the juxtaposition of like industrial revolution, like turn of the twentieth century stuff of having to do things in a certain amount of time yep. and economies of scale and all that stuff. But uh, having it be in this age, which is just so different and so complicated, it's interesting that it's still an issue over a hundred years later. And here's what I get. I mean, and the whole thing about Amazon and I hate to say, I love Amazon and boy, I mean, Mm -hmm. there are days when there are those Amazon box piled up out front and everything they do is for the customer. Everything is for the customer experience. And that's everything we can do to take care of the customer. But at the cost of what we always like to talk about the internal customers, Mm -hmm. pee breaks are good. Definitely. What do you have for a win? Private pee breaks. Uh, so my win. So the Major League Baseball season starts, if not today, then today or tomorrow. Uh, so there's this really cool article in Time about uh, a gal called Kim Ang. 
And she is the first oh, yes. female general manager of a major league baseball team. So it's the, um, the Florida Marlins and she, uh, sorry, the Miami Marlins, you know, she had a long road, has lots of experience in baseball and uh, we'll put a link to the article. It's in time. And it's, it's really interesting just to see, you know, she had the double whammy that some might say of being female and being East Asian, and to they go, you know, through some of the experiences that she had, like she, when she was the assistant general manager for the Dodgers, the L.A. Dodgers. She was on the, the company's chartered jet going from game to game. And one of the flight attendants came to her and said, what did you do to get Ooh. on this plane? And, you know, she, she said, well, actually, these guys all work for me. Wow. <laughs> so it's pretty interesting. But it's, it's really a very interesting, really well-written article. But I thought that was uh, a win, you know, at, at 52 years yeah, old, That's wonderful. Uh, she is pretty much at the pinnacle of yeah. management as far as Major League Baseball goes. That's my win. That's a great one. Well, my win is we have no shortage of disturbing news and we just shared two of them. So, mm -hmm. And so how do you get out of that? And so you can go on Facebook and some relief from there. Uh, but I more and more I'm becoming a fan of Reddit. I mm, love the mm -hmm. images. I love the memes. But there's one subreddit, which is a, a group you can follow. So if you go on Reddit and you just search, made me smile. And it mm -hmm. is just a world of goodness that makes you smile. And so there are nice. stories or photos or videos of just people or animals just doing such wonderful things, everybody on their best behavior. And it sort of gives you, when you're having one of those days, you're looking at the news, you're like, mankind sucks. This world's terrible, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then I just go on, made me smile. I'm like, yeah, okay. We're okay. We're okay. I would nice. recommend that. Love it. Yeah. Little couple of happy tears, never a bad exactly. thing. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I'm glad we had this great conversation. I hope uh, it inspired some people to take those first steps and, you know, addressing some of the crucial conversations they need to have. And um, we'll have the links for them. And uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.